On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We're starting today this series that you can see um, behind me on, on prayer. And it's a little three-week series. And uh, I, I, the reason why we're going through this is it just feels like a very timely moment for us as a church to uh, delve into a little more about the, the thinking behind prayer. And this, I think, would be helpful for you, whether you are uh, uh, from the Christian faith, uh, whether you're just on the outside looking in, uh, perhaps... Um, but I think for all of us, we can benefit from learning a little bit about prayer. Prayer is something that um, a lot of people do, whether they're religious or not. Um, whether they're Christians or from another religion, prayer is, is certainly uh, a, an important thing. So let's learn a little bit together about prayer. And I hope that as we go through over these next um, three weeks together, that we'll not only be equipped um, in our praying as a church, but also stirred uh, for what marvelous things God can and wants to do. Um, when we come to him in prayer. And today's um, uh, topic, I suppose, is on invitation. I suppose there are three movements. You can see that maybe just in the little words on the slide. Invitation. And the next week we'll look at approach, which is how we are um, when we come to God. And thirdly and finally, praxis, which I suppose is just a fancy word of a uh, way of saying the practical things. What do you actually do uh, when we pray? So today, it's invitation, um, and we're going to be thinking together about what, what is the invitation that we get when it comes to prayer, why, why do we need an invitation uh, when it comes to prayer, and then how do we sort of say yes to that invitation? So the what, the why, and the how of invitation. Prayer begins with an invitation. Before it's anything else, it begins with an invitation. Um, it is a call. And so this verse, these verses that we've just read together from John chapter 7, um, they, they are massive in our understanding of, of prayer. Now, for the, for the observant among you, you'll understand that, that no mention of prayer was given in those verses that we just read together. But it sort of underpins our understanding of, of how Jesus is uh, when he looks at us, when he looks at you. Um, and so let's, let's, let's look at those verses together. It says in verse 37, Jesus stands up. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him or her come to me and drink. Come and drink. To, to the dry, to the parched, Jesus says, come. He says, come and be quenched. Come and be satisfied. Come, come and receive life. Not ordinary water he's giving you. As nice as that might be, he's not a holy sort of water cooler. He gives you the living water, which he later on goes to describe and, uh, and teach us, which is the Holy Spirit. What, what's going on in, in these verses here? Let's get a bit of context. Um, it tells us here that this is on the, the last and greatest day of the feast. What feast are we talking about? Well, at the beginning of the chapter, it is the Feast um, of Booths, or the Feast of Tents, it's called. Um, what is this? This is an ancient yearly uh, week of feasting and celebration uh, where the people of Israel would have lived in tents 
and um, that, that was because uh, of, a, of a moment in their very earliest days um, when God saved the people of Israel from Egypt. He delivered them from slavery to freedom. And as they wandered around the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they lived in tents. They were always on the move. They were sort of, uh, I suppose, nomadic in, in, in one sense. And so um, this, this uh, celebration, this remembrance of God releasing them from slavery and living in tents um, was then observed every year in Israel. Um, and as time went on, tradition sort of developed this, this, this feast, this, this week um, of living in tents, um, and they added bits and pieces. And so as, as time went on, the tradition started to include this offering of water being poured out daily in the temple by the priests at the altar. And this is how it went. Water would have been taken from the pool of Siloam, which is a, a pool in the middle, a pond sort of thing, in the middle of, of the city of Jerusalem, the walled city. And this, 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 uh, during, during the, the festival of tents, uh, this, this water would have been taken by the priests who would have been paraded around the altar in the temple. At the same time, a huge choir would have been roaring uh, and singing from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, uh, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. This is all happening as they were walking around with this water. Um, the pilgrims who had gathered for this special festival uh, would have, would have um, uh, followed the priests shouting and singing uh, these psalms. They would have held strips of wood in one hand and a piece of citrus fruit in the other. That's what they did. I don't know why. I haven't read up on that, but that's what they did. And they were shouting out, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And as they followed this procession around the city with this water, this water was then poured out every day at the altar during the feast. Why were they doing this? What, what's this got to do with, with, with the tents? Well, the, the idea is that the, the water was pointing to God's miraculous provision of water in, in the wilderness. Um, uh, when, when Israel was in the wilderness living in tents, God provided water for them in very marvelous and uh, miraculous ways, water from the rock. They were thirsting, and God provided water for them. And so this water, this living in tents, was all a re remembrance of what God did back in the past. But also, it was pointing forward to something that, that God promised he will be doing, with his people Israel. Uh, the Hebrew prophets, um, which came much later on, they saw a day when God would pour out his spirit, the days of the Messiah, he, they pointed to a day when, when the spiritual rain would fall. So you, you, can, you, can, you can look up, for example, Zechariah 13 or Ezekiel 47 in the Old Testament, and they will talk to you and give you images and pictures of these days when God will visit his people, and it would be like rivers of living water flowing from the temple, bringing life to all people across the world, uh, bringing healing, bringing restoration. That's one of the verses that um, Neil read to us earlier on, Isaiah 55. See, all this context, I'm giving you a bit of background here, um, with the tents and the water and the rituals and the pouring out and all the rest of it, this was happening all week when we come to this little section at the end of John chapter 7. It was happening every, every day that week. It was happening in all the years before, all the centuries before. Thanksgiving for what God has done, anticipating what God is going to do. And it reached fever pitch by the end 
of the week of celebration. And it's at this moment that Jesus picked his opportunity. On the last day of the feast, it says, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. The climax of the feast, when everyone was sort of thirsting and hungering and anticipating what God was going to do, Jesus stands up and says, come to me. Come to me and drink. I will give you living water. See what Jesus was saying, that that water in the wilderness that God gave to you, come to me. That quenching in the parched land that your fathers had, come to me. Come to me, says Jesus, and you will never thirst. Come to me, and I will give you rivers of living water. Come to me, and I'll grant you water that heals, that brings life, that bears fruit. Come and have your soul's craving satisfied. These are the things that Jesus is saying in these verses. So it's important um, when we get to the start of a, a teaching on prayer that we have to understand that it's a, an invitation to come and drink. Why, why is that important for us to, 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 to hear this, for this to be clear for us? Well, I think that many of us carry what I would probably call the Oliver Twist approach to prayer. I don't know if you know Oliver Twist, the story. Um, there's an old movie uh, they made, I think there's a newer one, um, but it's a Charles Dickens story. And Oliver Twist was a young boy who was sent to the workhouse during the sort of industrial revolution in London, something like that. And um, uh, there was a famous scene in the in the old movie, um, and I think in the in the actual original story itself. And uh, <clears throat> Oliver Twist is a young boy; he's probably about seven or eight um, in the story. And uh, they've just been given their food in the workhouse, and they all sit down on these long tables, you know, and they're eating quietly this sort of, um, I don't know, porridge or something they get given. And uh, <clears throat> Oliver decides it would be a good idea to go up and ask for more. And no one ever does this, by the way, because if you do, you'd get punished. You'd, you know, you'd get, get I don't know, beaten or something, something terrible like that. So there he goes. He, he goes up with his bowl to the master at the, top of the, uh, at the top of the hall and says in a very quiet, timid voice, and he holds out his bowl and his big sort of puppy dog eyes, you know, please, sir. Can I have some more? And the, the master, who's played by Harry Seacombe in the old, uh, the old movie, um, he just turns red. You know, what, boy? You want more? And then, of course, he goes again and says, yes, can I have some more? And uh, <clears throat> uh, the master is absolutely incredulous. What right do you have, boy, of coming to me and asking for food? How dare you? And he sort of chases Oliver Twist out, and then he gets kicked out of the workhouse. And the story goes on. But often we have, I think, this view when it comes to prayer, or rather this view of God when it comes to prayer. God is the angry miser. He's the tight-fisted schoolmaster. You know, he, he, prayer, therefore, we think is something that we have to go to God to sort of wrestle some extra food from him, a little bit of extra um, sustenance from him out of his tight grip. And so we think that when it comes to prayer, we have to find the right words, to say we have to write, you know, uh, come to the right level of pol politeness and righteousness to sort of eke out a blessing from his tight hands. But this view, this text that we're looking at just now, turns that view upside down. Instead, what Jesus is teaching us here is that prayer 
begins with an invitation. It is God the Father inviting us through God the Son with open arms, and he comes and beckons us to come to him. He is good. He is loving. He is gracious. It says in the Bible, he will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. This is the kind of God that we come to when we pray. Uh, Later on, Jesus says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll knock. Sorry, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. So therefore, prayer is not coming to God to try and convince him to do something that he doesn't want to do. Prayer begins when he invites you to him. He says to you, come, come and receive living water. He wants you to be filled to overflowing. And this is achieved through prayer. He calls his people, he invites them. And in the words we see in in Malachi chapter 3, it says, tap, I know he's away. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Does that sound to you like a tight-fisted God? God is inviting us to come. Does that excite you? As we look at this topic of prayer, does does it challenge you to pray big prayers, to come to this God who is ready to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing? So it's all of the what of the invitation. Come to me and drink. Secondly, then, we've got the why of invitation. Why, Why is it given? Why is an invitation given? If it's that easy, if God is that willing, then, then why do we have to be invited to, to pray? Um, why, why does it need to be as complicated as that? Well, um, the answer is that, that, that people pray um, when they know they need to. People pray when they have a thirst. Um, I suppose thirst can be uh, dis- understood as a desire for water, Right? Uh, we've all experienced it in some way. It's, it's the response to emptiness or need or a lack of, of water. And so whether you go out exercising in the gym, if you do that, or if you're incredibly hot, you know, because you've been in a very warm country, or if there's some illness or other, you can experience thirst, a lack or a need or a desire for water. It's a, it's a natural phenomenon because your body has been so conditioned that you need it for life. If you do not get sufficient fluid, um, you will end up uh, um, ultimately dying. And so what we see here and what Jesus is talking about is that there is a basic need that we each have as well beyond the physical uh, thirsting. The basic need is uh, the the, the water that Jesus is giving here. He says, for all who thirst, come to me. He's not just talking about physical water. He's talking about something far more important. He says, I'm here to quench your spiritual thirst, your physical water. If you drink physical water, you'll be thirsty again, but the water I give you will never thirst. He goes on to say, rivers of living water will come from within you. Where does this thirst come from? Where does this thirst come from? It all flows out of who we are and what we've been created to be. Um, God created humankind completely unique, Um, He created us unlike other parts of creation to know him intimately, to know him in a way that is unrivaled 
in all of creation. Um, we've been created to know him deeply, to enjoy him, to be in fellowship with him. God and human beings together, the creator and the created. And the feeling was, was, was mutual. And so the sign, I suppose, that differentiates that connection between God and humankind that, that we don't have in other parts of creation is that God spoke and his people spoke back to him. Prayer is one of those things that differentiates that special relationship between God and humankind. Genesis chapter 3 gives us this picture of God walking, it says, in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. He was spending time with his people, um, our first parents, Adam and Eve. He he spoke to them. They spoke to him. They shared uh, their hearts, I suppose, with one another. And and I suppose it's a a glimpse of, of what it's meant to be between God and his people. And so you can imagine something then of the mess, the, the fallout, when humankind decided to go their own way, when they disobeyed God's parameters for, for a perfect life, when they rebelled against him, when they sinned. You can see this profound communication, um, this connection between God and humankind corrupted and broken. They walked away, they cut themselves off, As God says through another prophet in Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, My people have forsaken me. I am the fountain of living water. It says they have dug out for themselves cisterns, you know, big sort of water carriers, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God there calls himself and refers to himself as the fountain of living water. So that is why we thirst. We've been created for God to be quenched in his presence and yet we walk away from the water and we put ourselves into a spiritual desert. Only God can satisfy the thirst that we have. That's how we were made to be. Um, But like the first humans, um, we can continually search in all the wrong places to quench this deep soul thirst that each of us carries around. Um, for, for, for many of us, it's, it's sex or relationships. We think to ourselves, if, if I can get what I think I need, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied. And perhaps then, as you, as you, you know, maybe, maybe that might have defined you know, um, where you'd be looking as a younger person, perhaps, then as you get a bit older. Um, I've, I've noticed by observation, um, you know, we, we look more to money. We think, well, if we can get that, then we'll be happy and satisfied and everything will be, be right. And we're not talking about loads of money, just enough to be comfortable. Often that's what we say to ourselves. And so that drives us. If we get that, then I will be satisfied. And as we then get a bit older, I suppose, uh, even more than it becomes other things. It becomes rest. It becomes recreation. It becomes leisure. If we can just get those things, then we will be fulfilled. Then we'll be satisfied. For other people, it's success in, in, in work. For other people, it's influence they carry uh, in their circles. Uh, these are all different ways that we will look to try and quench this deep soul thirst that each of us has. We can look in various ways. But even if they may quench us for a bit, we get thirsty again. We remain dry. We become empty. So it's on to the next relationship. On to the next job. More money in the bank. 
higher levels of power or achievement or whatever it happens to be. But here's the thing, according to the Bible, those things will never deeply satisfy the thirst that you have in your soul. They won't ultimately satisfy because they're not primarily God. They're not the living waters. You were created for him to find your satisfaction in him. So nothing but God will satisfy you. Remember the context, <clears throat> the feast of the, the tents, the booths, the water in the wilderness, the water of the kingdom of God, Jesus saying, come to me, receive. Do you notice in verse 39, he said this about the Spirit. And he goes on to say, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What, is, what does it mean that Jesus was not yet glorified? To, to glorify, to be glorified is to be lifted up in the eyes of other people. Right? It's to be made much of, to, to be seen by many. Um, Jesus was not yet glorified. He was not yet lifted up. Um, and according to John, when Jesus was lifted up, it was when he was lifted up on the cross. And it's instructive that John the writer of this gospel that we're looking at, he's the only one to record these words from Jesus as he was lifted up for all to see on the cross. When Jesus was crucified, when he was unjustly tried, when he was sentenced to death by crucifixion, when they nailed him to the cross, he was becoming slowly exhausted. In John 19, verse 28, through to 30, Jesus says, I thirst. John's the only one to mention that Jesus says on the cross, I thirst. And then he died. Jesus is the one who invites us to come and drink. And there he is thirsting on the cross. He's dry and parched. What's happening? Why does John point this out? Well, in the gospel, you see, Jesus went into the wilderness so that you could be brought home. In the gospel, Jesus poured out his life unto death so that you could be filled up with life. In the gospel, because we have rejected God, because we've chosen spiritual dryness because of our sin, he thirsted for you so that you could be quenched. That's what's going on. When he was lifted up onto the cross, and as the gospel goes on, it tells us that Jesus on the third day was lifted up out of the grave. And then a few days after that, he was lifted up to God's right hand when he ascended to the heavens. And this was him being glorified. All these lifting ups were him being glorified. And then from there, from the right hand of the Father, he pours out his Holy Spirit. We'll be seeing that in a few weeks as we begin our New Year's study uh, through the, the book of Acts in the New Testament. When Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit, that's when the rivers start to flow. That's when the rain starts to pour down. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, that living water, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, come to me and drink. And it's for you, it's for us. So we thought a bit about the what of the invitation, come to me. And um, we thought about the why, well, we need to come and drink because we're thirsty and only Jesus can satisfy us by giving his spirit. 
So thirdly and finally, we're going to ask ourselves then, how, how do we receive this? How do we say yes to the invitation? Because every invitation requires an action, doesn't it? If you get an invitation to a banquet or a party, there's something you're required to do in order to, to go to it. You have to return the invitation. You have to say yes. Um, yes, Jesus invites us. Yes, he opens the way. Yes, he provides everything we need through his life, death, resurrection, and pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But in the same way, you, you must answer <clears throat> his invitation. Um, you can't passively go to a party. You have to get yourself there. And in the same way, you must say yes to Jesus in order to take up what he's promising. How do we do that? <clears throat> look, at, look at verse 38 with me. Jesus says, let anyone who thirsts, <clears throat> let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John, I think, gives us this clarification in verse 39. Now he said that about the Holy Spirit, about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So how do, you, how do you get it? How do you say yes to the invitation to come and receive the living water? It's by believing. It's that, it's that simple. Believing, just in case you're, you're, you're uncertain about what that means, believing is taking Jesus and his words at face value. His promise, we trust his actions, we believe. We look at him and say, he is the one who grants this living water, who pours it out, who sends it. Jesus is saying, believe that, and you will receive the living water. So we come to him and we ask. And, and, and prayer is the response to that invitation. Prayer is saying, yes, Lord Jesus, I answer your invite I respond to your call. Give me what you promise. That's prayer. And it begins with this invitation. I love what Jesus says in another gospel in Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> it says here, So you sinful people know how, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He's saying we know, if you're parents, you, you know, we generally know, don't we, how to, how to give good things to our kids. And relatively speaking, you know, we're, 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 well, we are, we're sinful. You know, we're messed up. But we still know how to give good gifts. How much more will our Heavenly Father, who is perfect and wonderful and good and beautiful in all of his ways, how much more will he know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Remember, prayer is not wrestling small blessings out of God's hands. It is receiving what he promises. So how do we do that? We've just thought about believing already. There are two, I think there are two ways that this will apply to you this morning. And you, you can figure out which of these two best suits your situation just now. Um, I, th I think the first way this can apply to you um, is through the haves and the have-nots. The haves and the have-nots. What do I mean by that? Either you have the Holy Spirit or you do not have the Holy Spirit. It's black and white. It's as simple as that. There is a distinct before and after. This living water. There is a before uh, you come to Christ 
and, and have faith in him, you do not have the Holy Spirit. Um, but as Jesus says here, believe and receive, trust in him, what he says, what he promises, what he's done, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's what this is all about. Um, other words we would use is you would be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to you and lives within you. When you come to faith in Jesus, you receive that Holy Spirit. The Bible describes that moment as like an adoption. When you receive uh, the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, uh, rather than looking at God from afar, you will uh, be known as a child of God. God is not just our Father, he will become your Father. That's what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. You can cry out as a child Christ to their father or their parent. You will be taken into the family of God. His Holy Spirit is given to you. You will say to God, I am yours and you are mine. And no one can take that away from you. You either have or have not got the Holy Spirit. You either have or have not faith in Jesus. Do you have this? My question to you. Have you, have you come to Jesus based on his invitation? Have you believed in him? Do you need to finally take Jesus at his word this morning and, and, and come to him by trusting in him? Do you need to believe that what we're talking about here is true and it is true for you? Do you need to go from being an observer of the Christian faith to being a child of God? haves and the have-nots. But the second way this might apply to you is this. You may already be a believer in Jesus, and so by definition, um, according to the Bible, you are already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is already in you. You are a child of God, yet this morning you come to church and you are thirsting. You're, you're, you're dry. You, you know that you crave more of God, you crave more of his Holy Spirit. Whatever is going on in your life, as you come to church this morning, you realize there is a deep and profound need for more of God. Maybe that describes you. Maybe you feel parched and dry. Maybe you've experienced something of God's Spirit in the past, but you desire for more today. Does God say to you, if you're in that situation, does God say to you, well, look, you've had enough of my spirit. I've already given it to you at some point in the past. No more for you. Just work hard and maybe one day I'll bless you with it. Does he say that's your lot? You can use it however you want. No, he does not. No, he does not. The invitation that Christ gives here in John chapter 7, is open and it is continual. Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you want of him. The more of the Holy Spirit you, you receive and experience, the more you will want. That's how it works. Jesus is saying that his disciples, his followers will and can continually hunger and thirst for more of him. That is, is their stance. You know, that's, their, that's their position. 
I remember when uh, our daughter Eliza was, was very small, she was a baby, and uh, we'd gone to some uh, hotel, in, I think in Enniskillen or something like that, at a gift voucher one Christmas, off we went. And um, there's a baby pool in there, and of course we you know, say she's six months old or something, we plonked her in one of these uh, rubber rings, you know. And she went, and she sort of floated in the ring, looking very unimpressed indeed, very unaffected by what was going on, as if she didn't even realize that she was in the pool. Um, but there she was, sort of going around and around, and then she got fed up, and then we had to get out. You know what it's like. Fast forward a few years, and uh, we're actually over uh, in England with some of my family, and um, there was a swimming pool nearby. Um, so we went to that, and it was a big pool, right? Uh, an adult pool. There was no kids' pool or anything as part of it. And... Um, I thought, how's Eliza going to get on? Our first experience, her first experience in the pool was not very uh, encouraging. She doesn't come across as a water baby or anything like that. Um, and I thought, well, maybe she's going to be afraid. Maybe she'll be uh, freezing cold, out of her depth, all these things. Um, and so we went into the big pool. And, you know, early signs were quite good. She started splashing around a little bit. She had the, the wings on, you know, the water wings. Um, and, and, and at one point, after a bit of splashing around, she eyed up the steps at the side of the pool, you know. And um, she thought, you know what, I'm going to climb up these steps and maybe just one or two steps and I'm going to jump in. going to jump into the arms of Daddy, who, who's there. So up she went and she sort of launched herself off and she was absolutely thrilled. She loved it. Massive splash, great fun. And then she went up again. A few more steps this time. Launched herself off. Daddy was always there to, to catch me. Higher and higher leaping further and further, deeper and deeper, just joy upon joy. And I think she was in there for a good hour. Um, I was wrecked by the end of it, but she had the best time. Some of you have just stopped in the shallows, just splashed around, unimpressed, and that's it. Maybe you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, Brilliant, praise God. But you've been holding back. You fear going deeper, you fear climbing a few more rungs to launch, I suppose, have, have, uh, launch yourself into the arms of the Father. You fear perhaps what lies beneath if you go under. Or you fear that the Father won't be there to catch you and you'll just mess it up and uh, drown yourself or something terrible. But based on what we have been thinking together, these Bible verses, this could not be further from the truth. The New Testament teaches us that you can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit when you're a believer in Jesus, and yet deeper and more profound fillings and experiences and moments um, with the Holy Spirit are available. They're not just available, but they are to be sought. Um, as we'll see in, in next year when we go through the book of Acts, uh, when the apostle Peter stood up before the council of, of the Jews, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to speak about Jesus with power. When the church gathered together, it tells us, for passionate prayer, it said they were filled with the Holy Spirit. When, when St. Stephen, moments before uh, he, he lost his life because of his faith in Jesus, it says he looked up and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When Paul and Barnabas were sent out, it says they were filled 
with the Holy Spirit to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus across the ancient Near East. So with all we've been thinking about and learning about this morning, we can ask for more. There is always more depths for you to, to, to wade into. There is more of the living water. It is not going to dry up. It's not going to stop. It will always flow. Jesus says, come to me and drink. Spoiler alert as well, if you want to come back and be with us in in January as we go through the book of Acts, we will see what it means to be a spirit-filled or spirit-empowered church in the book of Acts. We'll see that it includes having the power of God to attempt great things for him, to be able to push back the darkness, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the gospel with power. These are the things that happen when the church um, is empowered with the living water of the Holy Spirit. Let's bring things into land, shall we? Our first investigation on the topic of prayer, the invitation. We're not going to wait till January in our new series to start praying and, and uh, being open to praying to Jesus. We're going to do that right now. We're going to ask right now for this promise of Jesus, for this filling, this renewal, this deepening, uh, this living water. We're going to ask for faith to be pushed, sorry, faith to come in, for fear to be pushed aside. Um, and I think, I think um, just at the end as well, I would love to pray with you personally. Um, and, and, and Neil and even David at the back would love to pray with you. Um, if you just want to come and say yes to Jesus in, in whichever way, shape or form that looks in your life, we'd love to pray with you uh, one-to-one. But we're going to pray together now as well. Um, as we close out. So let's stand together and um, we're going to come to Jesus on the basis of all we've been learning and we're going to pray together.